We the people. We the people. We Congress the people. shall make no law. Second Amendment. No law. Second Amendment. No Second Amendment. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. And now, your host, Tony Ashcraft. Hey, welcome to Bullet Point Second Amendment Talk and more. Coming to you live from the Associated Credit Union of Texas Studios here at Vinyl Draft Radio. I'm your host, Tony Ashcraft. Happy Second Amendment Tuesday to you. Thanks for joining us. Hey, we have a we have a great show for you today. We're gonna, you know, you guys that listen to the show uh, that follow us, um, you know, we're we're a Second Amendment show. We're we're gun centric. We talk about uh, we talk about hardware. We talk about laws. We talk about uh, uh, policy, and uh, and that's typically what we share here. But um, occasionally. Occasionally, we get the opportunity to step a little bit out of our comfort zone. And uh, you guys that, that that know me personally know that uh, that I like politics almost as much as I like guns. And uh, we uh, we have uh, we got an opportunity here. Um, so District 129, you know, the the uh, which is the district that uh, Vital Draft Radio is here right in our backyard. Um, election time is upon us. The midterms are upon us and uh, early voting is going on right now. So we had an opportunity uh, to have a candidate for the 129th district here in the great state of Texas, and that is Alex Carjacker. He is joining us live in the studio. Alex, thanks for being with us. No, thanks for having me. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about um, we talk a little bit about education. We're going to talk about jobs. Um, we're going to talk about health care. Uh, and, yeah, we're going to talk some gun policy down the road so you guys, you guys don't bail out. Now, listen, I, I, know, I know you guys are probably scratching your head going, damn, Tony, gun show, and you, you got – you got some politics on there? Yeah, we do, because, uh, you know, politics are important um, because the especially with the political climate these days, it, it's just it's 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 insanity. And where I think uh, Alex and I are going to kick that around a little bit, too. So I want to let you guys know that um, that that this is not a, a debate format. Alex is my guest. And uh, and there are probably going to be some things that he and I are not going to agree wholly upon. But the point today is to have an open and honest discussion to see where we agree and to see where we disagree. And if we do disagree, if we want the same things, I mean, sometimes, um, you know, on the left and on the right, there are uh, there are common ground areas that um, that that both sides want to get to. It's just the path that we try to get there. Sometimes that creates the argument. And um, I think that that, uh, you know, when you hear the term gridlock or they can't get anything done, it's not because they don't really necessarily agree on what we need to do, just on how we need to do it, how we go to about how we go about it. You know, what policies and uh, will help us out because we all want to move forward. I mean, um, you know, America is the greatest democracy in human history, hands down. Um, uh, Love it or hate it. But uh it's fantastic. And I think, um, uh, you know, we all need to participate in it and we all need to, uh, to understand. And we're going to try to, to cut through a lot of the, the rhetoric and just talk in just plain, simple terms. It's going to be two guys having a discussion today, um, Alex and myself. And again, we're going to cover a lot of, uh, a lot of different topics. Uh, so we, uh, we may jump around a little bit, but, uh, but Alex and I have talked quite a bit here before the show, just kind of uh, getting a feel for, for where he's at and, and where I'm at because we want to make sure that you guys get the get the most out of this. Uh, if you're watching us on uh, YouTube Live, we appreciate it. Click like and subscribe. Um, and uh, we want to remind you, Vital Draft Radio has its own app um, available in the Google Play Store. It's free. You can catch Vital Draft Radio that uh, you're, you're listening to uh, Bullet Points on now. Also, um, uh, Vinyl Draft Country, which is a fantastic station. One I'm really excited about too, Vinyl Draft Texas, which is all Texas artists, and uh, that is uh, that's a that's a real cool station. Coming up, also Vinyl Draft Classic in the not too distant future. Uh, it's a free app. You can switch between the stations, switch between the music, and uh, you can also catch all of our original programming here in the archive section of the Vinyl Draft Radio app. So download it, install it, and tap that app. All right, let's get into it, uh, Alex. Um, again, I appreciate you being with us. I appreciate you, you coming in here. So folks that aren't familiar with you, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and, and what caused you or what, what, what precipitated you. Getting, you know, politics is a full contact sport these days. It is. Uh, it, That's it's right. A, yeah, it's a rough it's a rough business to be in. So so tell us a little bit about you and, and what, uh, what what brought you into the fray. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I grew up here uh, 
over here in Clear Lake. Uh, actually, my family started out in Seabrook uh, and then moved over to uh, Brookwood. I went to Clear Lake High School, graduated in 2006. Uh, I'm an economist by training. Um, always kind of been uh, involved in, in policy and politics. It was something we talked about a lot in the family. We felt that you needed to, you know, as you were talking about earlier, this is an important thing. These are important issues to talk about and to try and figure out where you agree, where you disagree, sure. what are the nuances, what are the details. Um, and over the last 10 years, I've kind of been looking at things and thinking, how is it that we find ourselves stuck in bad choices? Uh, one of the ones that, you know, I used to be an economist for Uber, and one of the ones that really illustrated it for me is um, we can either get stuck doing toll roads or, be, or have a ton of congestion. Right? These are our, sort of our two options here in Houston. You can either pay the toll or get stuck in congestion. And to me, that seems, you know, given work, my work at Uber, that seems crazy. Mm-hmm. There are other things that we can do. We have these new phones in our pocket. You can create these companies that have uh, cars on demand. You can get around. You can share a ride. Um, the companies like Uber and Lyft are now doing scooters and bicycles and other ways for you to get around. So you're just not stuck in traffic all the time. Um, and then we have that highway right by, rather the railroad right by Highway 3. Uh, it actually goes all the way into town. It could connect right up with the light rail system uh, downtown and just take a bunch of people off of 45. But basically, there's a lot of areas of policy, I think, where we've kind of been stuck in old ideas. Uh, and it's time we come up with a new answer. That's kind of what brought me into this. Yeah, I think so. Well, there's a yeah, there's always improvement. And I think that, uh, you know, the status quo sometimes, uh, you know, some people are, are sort of, I don't want to say scared of change, but but change is scary for some folks. Sure. So when you yeah. when you talk about for everybody, yeah, sure for everybody. And when you talk about things that um, you know, if if a policy or a uh, you know sort of the just the way of doing things has sort of been it's been this way for years, and people get used to it. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people lose sight of the fact that there we do have alternatives, mm-hmm. and those alternatives are not always the best solution. But um, we're certainly not going to get anywhere not discussing it. Right. You know, we need to put ideas out there. We need to share ideas. We need to have, um, you know, good discussions, um, good discussions, good debates. Um, uh, you know, I used to work for a, uh, a company uh, that was probably eight, 10 years ago, but uh, uh, we would kick around different ideas with, with products and things. And, mm-hmm. and we would always get in a room and have a meeting. Mm-hmm. And if we had an idea, everybody would just try to beat that idea up, just yep. really pick on it and just 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 kick it. And, you know, one of the guys said one day, you know, why do we, why do we come up with these ideas and, and come in here and, and say the worst things about it? I said, because it survives in here. It'll survive out there. Exactly. That's the only way we're going to yep. find the weaknesses. We got to try to tear it down and see where it's really at, because there may be some things that, that, that we haven't thought about. Um, so let's get to it. The, the first thing I want to talk about um, is, uh, is the job market. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, everybody knows um, that the job market unemployment rate as a statistic is very low, lower than it's been, I think, in 51, 52 years, something like that. Uh, very low. It's in the, mm-hmm. the high, I think it's 3.7, 3.8, somewhere yep, around there. Right. Yep. And, and that's true across all ethnicities, you know, white, black, Hispanic. Yep. Um, and uh, there are... It is said that there are actually more jobs available than there are workforce participants. Now, that doesn't take into account, you know, some of these jobs might be higher skilled jobs that, Mm -hmm. you know, an average person may not get into. But still, um, that's uh, that's sort of a unique position to be in. So you had a a little bit different take on the on the job market, but specifically um, wage and wage growth and how Mm -hmm. that applies to the job market and the value of of the workers. So expand on that a little bit. Yeah, no, one of the things I think is, is kind of missing, and actually, let me back up for a second. When I, when I uh, finished school in 2009, that was when the economy really started to tank. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember we were losing, you know, seven, 800,000 jobs a month. And to me, that was incredible. And so to live in a period now uh, where that's not the case, uh, I, I, I'm a jobs report nerd. I'll follow the jobs report every Friday when it comes out. And I, when I see jobs wanted signs on a small business somewhere, uh, it makes me really happy because jobs are really central to our community, right? It's where it's not only how you make a living or how you can support your family, um, but it also gives you a sense of purpose, mm-hmm. adds adds to the community, adds to uh, everyone's quality of life. Right. But what I think is missing right now, and I think a lot of folks have pointed it out, is uh, wages aren't growing by as much as we expect. I mean, if you're going to say that unemployment is the lowest it's been in, you know, how, who knows how long, right? Fifty years or whatever it is, mm-hmm. then you would expect uh, a bit more job, a wage growth. You might say, some would say, hey. If there's more jobs available than people to, to fill them, 
then if you have a job here at Vinyl Draft and you want to go hire someone from a rival radio station, you'd say, hey, come over here and, and do our job. And he'd say, well, how much more will you pay me to come over and work for you? And you, you would compete with his other employer, right? Uh, but that's not really happening as much. We don't really see that in the data. There's a little bit, but not as much as you'd expect. And where I come from, where I, where I think about this in, uh, in economics and uh, free markets and making sure markets are competitive is that I don't think there are enough uh, employers competing for these workers. Uh, they're not really going out there and, and being able to compete for workers. Uh, and that's because, honestly, I think there's not enough small businesses. Um, now, do you think that, and we talked a little bit about this in the green room, but, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes some of these jobs, and, and we alluded to it earlier, um, you know, like a highly skilled position, if you mm-hmm. are, uh, if you're a welder or mm-hmm. a pipe fitter or an iron yep. worker or, you know, a doctor in the medical field or your radiologist or, or these things, they're, you know, we can't just say, we can't look at it as a data point and say there's a thousand jobs and there's 700 people. Mm-hmm. So yep. there's more. So because not every person can fit. Yep. It's like shopping for clothes. Yeah, you know, yeah there 100%. Might be, that's right. Yeah. So um, you're trying to find the right match, right? Like you're, you're one person that you can, and a bridge of skills that you can bring to the employer, and the employer is looking for a particular set of things. And, and this, this whole question is about matching, uh, matching folks up. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we can do, you know, thinking about uh, plumbers and welders uh, and even doctors and lawyers, there's a lot of research now coming out talking about how uh, there have actually been some fairly burdensome regulations at the state level uh, around licensing mm-hmm. that restrict new folks from coming in. Right. Um, and what that means is that there aren't very many uh, folks to compete with, uh, say, in, in the plumbing game or in the welding game, right. or that it's hard to become one of those industries. And that's why earnings in those areas are, are high. And so we should... We should be able to educate some more folks, get them skilled up so they can go do those jobs because they need to be filled. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, sometimes um, I think uh, if you look at those jobs like you're talking about, there's there, the barrier of entry mm-hmm. becomes a little bit higher, a little bit more difficult. And I can that that could dissuade somebody from, 100%. from maybe pursuing that. That's right. So, yeah, I agree with you there. That uh, that is something that uh, that we should do. Yeah, you, you brought up a point um and you used uh, McDonald's as a specific example. Yep. Um, and so expand on that a little bit. Sure. One of the things that um, I thought was really fascinating when I read about this, because I actually didn't realize uh, it was an issue, and, I, and I, I'm pretty steeped in uh, labor economics. I didn't realize that if you're in one franchise of McDonald's, you cannot uh, try and hire someone from another McDonald's franchise. And to me, that seems a little crazy because uh, it's not that corporate McDonald's owns everything and they sort of decide HR decisions from the from the top, mm-hmm. but these are all independent franchises. They should right. be competing with each other for workers. And if you want to start a new McDonald's franchise because you've got a great location and you think that's going to be a very busy location and spot, you should go pitch the manager from a spot that's not very busy. Yeah, you want to you want to hire the most experienced personnel to yeah. because in theory they would be the most successful. Yeah, that's um, and, supply and, and demand, right? Supply and demand, very good, and that that sort of brings up our um, you know we were talking about non compete agreements, mm-hmm. which yep. uh, we both agree are, are a ridiculous thing. I was asked to sign one at the same company that, and I folded it back up and took it back into the CEO, and I said no, I'm not not going to because. Yep. You know, why would I, why would you spend, you know, five, 10, six years in a job developing yourself uh, for somebody else to offer you another opportunity and say, well, no, I can't compete. So I can't take that, that better job. I can't move up that ladder. I can't increase my wages. I can't, you know, uh, increase my portfolio of experience. You know, you just, you can't do that. So all, yeah. of, all of these things, I'll just point out that, that wrap them up in a big picture is all of these things are designed to help the existing players. If you're a new entrant, if you want to start something new, we make it hard. But if you're an existing player you know, who can make your employer sign a non-compete, then you're in good shape, right? It solidifies your advantage. Sure. And that's not good. That's not good for free markets. No, it's not. I agree. Well, we got to take a break already. Um, on the other side of the break, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, health care. So Alex has some, some interesting things to, to share with us, but we're going to get into that. So stay with us. Bullet Points on Vital Draft Radio. This is Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. What would you like from your bank or credit union? How about a mobile app that makes banking simple? How about free online banking and mobile bill pay? How about loan decisions made locally? How about 15 convenient locations? Associated Credit Union of Texas has all of these and more. Sounds like you should get associated. ACU of Texas, federally insured by the NCUA. For more info, visit acutx.org. Good people of Texas, cast aside the everyday and come as thou art not to the Texas Renaissance Festival. 
feast and frolic amongst nobility, barbarians, and magical creatures. Create your own fantasy with clothing, jewelry, and more from hundreds of one-of-a-kind shops. The Texas Renaissance Festival. Nine weekends of feasting and merriment starting September 29th. Get your tickets now at texrenfest.com. Huzzah! Chuck's Sports Bar and Memorabilia in Leaf City is exactly what you picture a hometown bar to be. Watch the game with friends, great food, great drinks, and a friendly staff. Chuck's is also the home of celebrity bartender nights, open mic nights with Robert Del Toro, karaoke nights, and more. Chuck's is located at 601 East Main in Old League City, Tuesday through Thursday from 4 to 11 p.m. and Friday and Saturday from 4 to 1 a.m. Call 832-632-1325 or find them on Facebook, Chuck's Sports Bar, League City. Bold, informative, and thankful for the Second Amendment. This is Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. Welcome back to Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. Tony Ashcraft here, coming live, coming right at you live from uh, the Associated Credit Union Texas Studios. My guest in studio, Alex Carr Zecker. He is the candidate for the 129th district house seat here in the great state of texas he's joining us today we're talking a little bit about um you know a little bit about jobs a little bit about health care a little bit about uh you know some social policies and we're going to get into some 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 gun stuff later in the show um but uh we didn't want to pass the opportunity up to have uh, alex here and, and and share his thoughts with us um so you know we uh health is a big deal Mm-hmm. Healthcare is a huge deal, and I think in a, in a recent poll that I saw, in, in healthcare always trends towards the top of just about any poll, any demographic, any doesn't matter who does the poll. Healthcare literally is always life and death. Yes, literally, it's always it's always way up there. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when uh, during the Obama administration, we had Obamacare, mm-hmm. and that was supposed to solve all our problems or most of our problems. I think the, you know, the aim was to get um, folks that were, couldn't afford insurance or not able to have insurance to sort of get them in there. And it was this kind of offset risk pool thing where, Mm -hmm. you know, people that could afford it paid a little bit higher premium. And we took the top off of that and we moved it over here to sort of subsidize these folks. And it was a good idea on paper, but we're being honest, it really didn't work out very well. It just didn't, you know, there was, there's a lack of competition. Um, the premiums are going up. Deductibles were going up. And it, it, mainly, it mainly it it hit the people that were already paying for their own health care or had a health care plan that their business was or that their employer was sponsoring. So it hit some of those folks pretty bad. And I think that that seems like we're sort of getting away from that. It's not where it needs to be. And we got a long way to go. But one of the things that that you and I discussed that I think makes health care um, so expensive uh, for a lot of people because, you know, if we have a health care plan, uh, part of it is medical care. Part of it is being able to go into your doctor if you get sick mm-hmm. or if you yep. have to be hospitalized. That's part of it. But the bigger component is, I think, for a lot of folks is prescri- prescription drug prices. Yep, that's right. And um, I was looking today, as a matter of fact, this morning for myself personally, not in anticipation of this, it just the happenstance, but there was a um, a uh, a generic drug. The generic drug price is two dollars per pill. Mm-hmm. The branded drug price is sixty three dollars and seventeen cents for a pill. So that means you could buy a thirty day supply for less money than one pill. And this is not an anecdotal thing. I mean, this mm-hmm. is oh. true across a lot. Yep. So why you know i realize that as a drug manufacturer you've got to jump through a lot of hoops you've got mm-hmm. to do a lot of research there's a lot of money invested in it mm-hmm. um but what are your opinions i mean why do you think that there is such a disparity you know after the the drug patent runs out on some of these things and some of these more common the more common statin drugs uh things like these statin drugs insulin i mean there's there's a whole bunch of things out there that people take that have chronic diseases you know heart disease hypertension's big yep. deal um what do you think causes that i mean what's and what do we do about it sure so i think one of the issues uh, to your point is that the first pill costs you know a billion dollars to produce right because it's all the research all the r&d it's everything that went into that producing that pill mm-hmm. the second one costs 10 cents right because you just you're putting all the the stuff into the pill and you're you're kind of done um and one of the things that i'm really that concerns me actually is that the rest of the world kind of freeloads on our innovation, um, some more than other places, right? But basically, you, you're a drug company, you're a drug manufacturer. You go to these other countries, you want to sell the same pills, 
And they say, oh, well, we have whatever system we have, and so therefore you have to pay you know, a buck a pill, right? Half of what you're paying now for yours, right? And then they come back here and they say, well, we have to make up that first billion dollars of expenses that we did. How are we going to do that? Oh, well, you know, we're, we're going to squeeze Tony. Like that's, that's the way we're going we're gonna to do that. Um, an idea that I think is much more in line with free markets, but also deals with this question, because we want to make sure that you get the, uh, a drug price that's fair and reasonable, is um, we should put out, we should do actually prizes. Because what happens right now, let me back up. What happens right now is company comes out with a drug, say it solves Alzheimer's, they put a patent on it, the patent lasts, I think, maybe a little too long, and then they can sort of keep the price high. Instead, if you come up with a drug that solves Alzheimer's, why don't, as the government, we'll just buy you out. We'll pay you $50 billion, whatever it is, to buy you out of that patent, and then we make that formula available to everybody, and then we can have all sorts of producers produce it, and they can compete on who has the cheapest, safest production cost, right? And then your pill will always be somewhere around two bucks. Um, and then you won't actually have weird, there's, there's a weird fight that goes on with insurance companies, right? Because an insurance company will get into a deal with a drug manufacturer, mm -hmm. and they'll cut a price so that they pay, they're, they're, that's the one that they're shifting you towards, right? right. And, and that's, that's another thing. But if you just eliminate all of this patent stuff, then, then everybody's on the same playing field. Whoever can produce the drug the cheapest, that's, that's going to be the winner. Yeah, I've been a, a victim of that. Uh, I had a, a medication that I was on for years and years and years. I had like mm -hmm. eight years, 10 years, something like that. And then one year, you know, my, my, my insurer says, we don't pay for that anymore. Yep. You got to use this one. And what's wrong with that one? I, I've never used this before. And so they forced me into that one because obviously they had made, and I, you know, I get it. Um, you know, insurance companies, but it's another thing where there are not enough insurance companies, right? What will happen is the insurance companies, they bring a bunch of people to the hospital or to the drug manufacturer. They say, we have, you know, 10 million people on our list and you, you should cut us a deal on the price. Mm -hmm. And then the hospital says, oh, my God, we're going to have to cut a deal on the price. So they, they go and merge with other hospitals. And now they come back and they say, well, we're the bigger hospital, so you have to cut us a deal. Right. And so the insurance companies go back and they say, oh, we, we better merge too. So now you have the, all these mergers back and forth, and it's our doctors, our nurses, us as patients that are all paying the price for this. Yeah. Um, and we need to get that under control. Yeah, there, there is. A, there's indeed, no competition. No, there's, there's no competition. Uh, the competition across state lines and the uh, expiration of patents, the length of mm -hmm. patents on, uh, you know, and I get it. If you have sort of a, you know, a specialty drug, maybe it's a, you know, an eye cream or something like that. That's, that's not, not life dependent, mm -hmm, you know, exactly. not, not something that does hypertension or mm -hmm. you know, cardiovascular disease or diabetes or if you want to small, uh, solve male pattern baldness, by all yeah, means, go ahead. free market, yeah, I yeah. won't touch it. <laughs> right. By all means. Yeah. Hang on, hang on to that for as long as you want. But some of these other things, uh, but, but it does, you know, sort of set up the, you know, the, the, the deal, because if you're the, if you're the manufacturer, you're the insurance company, I mean, you are, you are a private company and you mm -hmm. are in business to make money. Yep. But I do agree that the, the way that the regulations are set up and what they will do, what we allow them to do mm -hmm. in favor of themselves yep. to, because what business wouldn't exactly, you know, they're not breaking the law. They're mm -hmm. just taking advantage of the way the regulations are set up. And until we change those regulations, that's right. And until we, we, we force them as, um, uh, as competitors to do something different, until we increase the competition, until we, right. we tear down the barriers, they're going to keep doing it, doing it because why wouldn't they? I mean, so we should set up a system. So if we know that, right, if we know that they're going to be profit maximizing, which is perfectly fine, I get it. You know, no one's here just to exist as a saint. Sure. Then we should just create a system that works for everybody. And that's actually, honestly, that's what we do here generally. Free markets, letting people compete, bringing up the quality of life for everyone, not letting any one person have more advantage over anybody else. That's what free markets do, and that's right. what competition does. And we could do that in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so let's uh, let's shift. Let's move over to the uh, to the other big. You know, it's always jobs. It's always mm -hmm. healthcare. Yep. And uh, the uh, the third prong in the trident of of, of discussion is always uh, education. Yep. So education's a is a big deal. And and um, I wouldn't be where I am without Clear Creek ISD. So I want to do a quick <laughs> shout out to them. <laughs> so Clear Creek ISD. Yep. And. Uh, yeah, my my children are in the Pearland School District, and mm -hmm. Pearland School District doing an outstanding job with my kids. Or maybe I'm just extraordinarily lucky. Uh, no, but they it is nice though because to to go over there and so they they, they do a really good job over there. But um, you know, we were or me, I, I was kind of beating up on HISD mm -hmm. uh, a little bit earlier, and I don't want to I don't want to pick on them because they're 
um, the woes that the Houston Independent School District has, um, as an example, because they're they're the largest school district and they're right here in our in our backyard, literally. Sure, yeah. Um, so they are the best bad example that we could pull out. But but it certainly their issues are not any they're not unique. They're not the only ones to have these types of problems, but sure, yeah. they have a, a, you know, a lower graduation rate as a whole. Um, teacher salaries are kind of in the middle. I think they're, I think nationally, I don't know what the national average, you might know what the national average for a teacher salary. I want to, mm, I know in Texas, the average is about 55. Yeah. So they're just a slightly below mm-hmm. just a few thousand dollars. They're around the 52, 53 mark. And again, it's dependent on whether they have a, a bachelor's or a master's mm-hmm. or you right, know, whatever. Yeah. there's a little bit in there, but um you know, the graduation rate is... Um, is it 80%, right? It's 80%. Approximately. That's okay. as a whole. So that, that means 20% of the people that go in don't come back. It's two out of 10. Right. Um, uh, unacceptable in my book. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, so we talked about, um, we talked about funding, mm-hmm. school funding. And uh, you had... And I asked you about um, uh, merit pay for teachers. And I want to mm-hmm. get to that specifically because I know that's, that's something that we talked about. So, so where are you at, merit pay for teachers? Good idea, bad idea? Uh, I mean, I typically think that merit pay for teachers is a good idea. I think the question we have to all ask ourselves is, how do you measure that merit? Um, and I typically think it's a it's something that's a, a bonus on top of standard pay. Um, but merit pay for teachers is good because you want to reward those who have the best ideas, those who are doing really good work. Mm-hmm. I think if you're a teacher and you decide to go into a community where kids are three or four grades behind and you're able to bring them up two grades behind, that that's merit to me. You've done right. two years' worth of work in one year, um, and that's great. Uh, we should reward teachers who are going to do that. If you're going to, you know, with, with all due respect to those of us, you know, Clear Creek is a, is a very high-functioning uh, school district, but maybe you might think that a lot of the schools have, um, the students are a little easier for all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you were to, if you go there, um, it's a great school district. You're doing great things with the kids. You're helping them achieve their potential. But if they're at grade level or exceeding grade level and you help move them up another grade level, that's... That's good. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's it's not as good as if you brought someone from three grades behind to one grade behind. That's a big deal, and we should reward that. Right, because your minimum expectation is you should you should go forward every year. Exactly. You shouldn't get bonus. I mean, that's like you know, <laughs> you shouldn't get you shouldn't get a bonus for the minimum. That right. You, right. Was, but I'm saying like if, even if you you push them like a, another grade, like two grades ahead. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good, but it's not as good as if as, you brought somebody from behind up. Because right. that's really the issue. And so yeah. I'd like to incentivize teachers to go work in the tough areas. And mm-hmm. one of the ways you can do that, again, supply and demand. We keep talking about that, supply right. and demand. If I'm going to ask you to do a harder job, I've got to pay you more. And then I've got to check that you actually did the job so that I can make sure that it was worth my money. Yeah, exactly. See where, see where your investment is. Because yeah. it is an investment because, yeah, that's that's our tax dollars. 100%. Yeah, we, that's our tax dollars. This, You know, y'all, everybody who's out here in Texas and everybody who's, who's in Clicker ISD, y'all invested in me, mm-hmm. right? You invested in me, invested in my education. I went out, I, I studied some things, I got some experience in the private sector, and I came back here and I said, you know what, I can help make the community better. I pay my taxes, I'm a tax-abiding citizen, you go about my business, but also want to help the community make it better. And that's a good investment right. for the community. We can do that. With all of our kids, sure. Right? That's how it should be with all of our kids. Yeah, I agree with you, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, it, when it comes to um, uh, to merit pay for teachers, there's you mentioned there's it, it's it's difficult to quantify what what the merit is, and I think mm-hmm. that's where the where the real discussion comes in. But um, I know we talked about teachers and even administrators uh, mm-hmm. being held more accountable. So if you're you know, if your school or your district or, you know, whatever, whatever marker, whatever metric you want to put on it mm-hmm. is consistently failing, I think there ought to be uh, an opportunity or it may make it easier to to get rid of some of these folks. Because if you have a bad employee, and that's what these people are, that's what teachers are, they're employees. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't perform, uh, then they need to go and we need to get somebody in there uh, because it's a it's a value market. Again, if, if mm-hmm. you have to pay, you know, Miss Smith, $60,000 a year and she doesn't do her job. Well, and you can pay Miss Jones $60,000 a year and she's going to do her job. Miss Jones is a better value than Miss Smith. 100%. So it's not fair to Miss Jones that you have Miss Smith. Exactly. And so, you know, one of the things that I think what we need to do is we need to make sure that we have the right standards. One of the things that's occurred to, that all teachers seem to tell me is they, they're tired of teaching to the test. Mm-hmm. Uh, it drives them crazy. It drives the kids crazy. It drives parents crazy. Uh, one of the things that I think we could do instead is why don't we get all the teachers and parents together uh, get them in a room and they can put to, uh, together an exam. Uh, and that's something that we're all bought in on. Yeah. And that way, if you don't make it, if you're not uh, performing right, 
we've all agreed on what the standards are. Exactly, exactly. All right, we got to take a break. We're going to be back. We're back with Alex in just a few minutes. Stay with us. Bullet points on Vinyl Draft Radio. We'll be right back. This is Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. The light beer you've been waiting for has arrived. Corona Premier is a superior light lager brewed to be easy drinking with a taste that's undeniably Corona. Premier is an exceptional light beer, perfect for taking a moment to look around and appreciate all that you've accomplished so far. Lower carbs, lower calories, higher expectations. Corona Premier, enjoy the view. Drink responsibly. Corona Premier, imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. My lady, today I banish boredom. You're king of the Texas Renaissance Festival. Do whatever you like. Then I'd like to decree a different theme every weekend. With characters and costumes? Decreed. And what about frivolity for families during the day? And more frivolity in the campground at night? (laughs) Decreed. Decreed indeed. The Texas Renaissance Festival, nine themed weekends starting September 29th. Tickets at texrenfest.com. Decreed. Hey, it's Adam Smasher, and ClearLakeToday.com is where I go to find restaurants, events, entertainment services, and more in the Clear Lake and Bay Area. If you're looking to find a certain business in the Clear Lake area, you need to check ClearLakeToday.com. Now, if you are a business in the Clear Lake and Bay Area, make sure your business info is on ClearLakeToday.com. To advertise your business, contact Doug Meisinger by emailing Doug at ClearLakeToday.com. I wasn't about to miss this. We're glad that you stuck around, too. This is Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. And now, your host, Tony Ashcraft. Hey, welcome back to Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. I'm Tony Ashcraft in the studio Alex Cardzecker. Alex is a uh, hopeful for Texas house seats in uh, District 129, right here in our backyard. So if you guys are uh, you guys are in the Clear Lake area, in Seabrook, uh, Keene, El Lago, Sabre, El Lago. Lake Village, Webster, yeah, uh, Heritage Park in Friendswood, Green Tea over in Pearland, yeah, all the all the way up. It's uh, far north as uh, Beltway Eight, right? Yep, Sagemont's covered there too. Part of Pasadena. Uh, part of the port, so it's a big, it's a big district. Yeah, it's huge, huge, huge. So, uh, uh, so Alex was nice enough to come in and uh, we're discussing all kinds of different topics. We've covered uh, covered a little bit of jobs, a little bit of a little bit of education. Um, but uh, the other thing, and this is really hot in the news right now, is uh, is immigration, mm-hmm. um, and it's always a it's always an ongoing topic, and there seems to be. You know, two extremes, right and left. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the right wants to put up a wall, and some some would say send everybody back that's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some on the left and the other just extreme side think people should just come and go, open borders, come and go mm-hmm. as they please. Um, but I think for for the rest of us, you and I were again we were discussing this a little bit. Um, there, there's always a lot of talk with immigration, but you know. The, the Obama administration uh, did nothing about it. Uh, the Trump administration hasn't done anything. I mean, other than you know talking about building the wall, which I guess is a is is something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a start, but but to but th- there's always a question: of What do you do about the, the folks that are here? Mm-hmm. And you know, the accepted number for the longest time was 12 million, 14 mm-hmm. million. Yeah, but I think there. yeah, the recent study was it's more like 22 million. But oh, I hadn't seen that yet. There's no, but there's no way for us to know. Sure, it it might be five people. <laughs> you know? Certainly not yeah, five. No, it's, it's more than five. But um, but we're talking about you know what what do you uh, what do you do? Well, let's before we talk about what we do with the folks here, let's get into to what what policies, what changes do you feel um, would really be effective? Um, the border wall. Are you mm-hmm. pro border wall? Or are you against the border wall? Why? Why not? Sure. No, I think one of the things that concerns me about the border wall is that you end up taking, it's a lot of eminent domain there. You end up taking a lot of land from people, uh, who own it, ranchers and folks who are out there on the border. Um, if we could negotiate a good deal with them, if that's, if there's something we can make work, that's all right. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that from the data that I've seen, most folks that are here, uh, illegally have overstayed visas. And so they're coming in outside of the wall Right, they're just coming in on a plane. They've got right. a visa and they stick around. Uh, and then I know that the old Texas saying, 
is that you know we build a 12 foot wall and they get 13 foot ladders. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not opposed to a wall as a as an ideological point. Um, I'm not sure it's the best use of money, uh, just given where the other problems are. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that um, you know I think the wall is probably not the the only solution, but I think it's a a major component in mm. in in getting that because we have to have security because. You know, yeah, a lot. I agree of, with that. A I, lot. I agree. Of, with security is important. Yeah, 100%. a lot of people do overstay their visas. They mm-hmm. they overstay, and and a lot of people they will not be truthful. To, they'll they'll do whatever they can do mm-hmm. to gain access in into the United States. And that's not to say everybody. And look, I want to I want to make it clear that I, Alex and I, you know, whatever discussion we may have about immigration and border security, we're not trying to demean anyone and anyone's reason for being here or not. But it's but a the, good faith conversation. It is a good faith conversation. But the truth is. There are folks here and lots of them that ought not be here. There are folks here that are coming here every day that are trying to get to this country for one reason or another that know they're doing it illegally. Um, and what do we do to stop that? What is what is realistic? What is, you know, what is the solution? I mean, we've got to sitting on our hands and, and discussing it. And, and I'm talking about you and I. I'm talking about, you know, the Congress. The, yeah, the Congress, you know, yeah. on the federal level. What and I, I want to go. What happens? Yeah, I want to go back there for a second. You know, the, the, the Senate back in 2013, they actually passed a bill, right? And it was a bipartisan bill. I think it got like 68 votes or something out of that. And then the House just never, never took it up. They mm-hmm. just never brought it to the floor for a vote. Um, and, it, you know, again, you can disagree on any policy you want back and forth that you're writing as an American. And, of course, if you're a representative, you, you take a position. Like, that's, that's your job. Your job is to take a position for your community. But to just not do your job yeah. and not take a vote, to me, is, is kind of crazy. Um, you know, we talked. To, I don't know if we talked about it a little bit, um, whether it was uh, earlier today or um, when we first met, but you know, my family is from overseas. My father's family was from South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're Indians. They were born in, uh, my father and his siblings were born in South Africa. Um, and because they were Indians, they didn't have the same rights as everybody else. This was the old apartheid right. uh, government, right? And, and they really believed in, in freedom uh, in being able to pursue your endeavors. My grandfather was a small business owner. He had a grocery store uh, that helped put uh, my dad and his siblings through school. Um, but they came to the United States because they really believed in freedom mm-hmm. and the ability that everyone can pursue their own pursuits and make themselves happy and just live a life free of government intrusion like that. Uh, and for me, for folks who want to do that, for folks who believe that um, who are running away from tyranny, who, who want to contribute to our civic society, who want to add to our community, we need to have a way to let them in um, because it would make us better, right? We have all, we were talking earlier, we have all these jobs that are open with not enough people to fill them, right? These folks, if they, if they want to come here legally, if they want to learn English, if they want to just fill some of these jobs, that'll be great for everybody, but they've got to build the right system. Right now, it feels like the machinery is broken yeah. So nobody can get in legally. So do you see a, if, if we do let, and let, let's be honest, a lot of the folks coming in, coming across the border are what we would term low-skilled workers. They're, they're, mm. they're laborers. Sure. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, um, uh. you know, if we, flood, if we flood the market with low-skilled laborers, those are the most fungible jobs that we have. Mm-hmm. So, yep. and, and those people, uh, those, and I don't mean by those people, I don't mean immigrants, I mean people that, are chronically low skilled, and there is a segment of the population, if we're being honest, that for whatever reason they they tend to stay stagnant. They don't they sure. don't grow in wages. They don't grow in wealth for one reason or another. It's a lack of education or lack of drive, or it, and there's a number of determining factors. But it just is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, do you see any issues with you know if we we set up a system where we say, okay, you guys come over here and work if you want to. That's mm-hmm. fine. Let us know. And then you have just an influx of unskilled labor. Do you, how do you see that affecting the job market? Sure. Well, I mean, you have to – borders Borders exist, right? All countries have borders. We, we don't say that you can just you know, go to Mexico, go to Venezuela, go to Nicaragua, uh, Nigeria, wherever you want to go. You can't just show up, right? right? You have to go through their process. They're their own country. You, you have to respect their process. We need to do that here. And what it means, I think, is that uh, the Congress and probably you know Homeland Security and Department of uh, Labor and Commerce, all these guys, they need to sit down together and look at, okay, where's the job market look? Where does it look like we have uh, some needs? And then mm-hmm. you can issue you can issue visas for those needs. Um, it doesn't have to be a carte blanche. We let everybody in. It's just a very rational. Okay, we need more folks to. If you do need more folks to go pick oranges, you get some more folks to go pick oranges. If you need some more folks to be programmers, you get some more folks to be programmers. If you need more folks to be welders. You bring in some more welders, yeah. and and that's it can be very logical. It doesn't have to be super emotional, um, right. right? It's just about what do we need. Yeah. Um, speaking of super emotional, um, you know this caravan thing 
Mm. has been in the news and it's depending on what news source you you see or mm-hmm. who you pay attention to uh it's either only a handful of people or it's about a zillion people like a zombie horde mm-hmm. coming up but um i've heard numbers as low as four thousand i've heard numbers as high as seven thousand but um what do you think we ought to do with these folks because they're you know you see and i and i and i saw it personally that you know these folks uh, the 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 pitch is and the pitches from some politicians and from some in the media that they're fleeing oppression, they're mm-hmm. fleeing crime, they're fleeing poverty. Um, and I don't know that to be true or not true, but you certainly see a lot of able-bodied young men, you know, 20 to 30 years old, mm-hmm. and they're burning the American flag while they're carrying the flag of the country they claim is oppressing them that they're fleeing from. Mm-hmm. So instances like that, I mean, that do you do you think? At, let me put it to you this way: if if somebody has sort of an anti-U.S. sentiment, mm-hmm. but yet they ask for admission to the country, do we weigh that in letting them in? Do we say, okay, well, you know, it, it's a it, we're a we're a First Amendment society. If you don't mm-hmm. like the government, you can certainly speak out about it. You can speak your mind. Mm-hmm. But for a non-citizen, somebody outside this country, do you allow them? Do you do you weigh that as a factor when they're coming in? So you see these folks protesting and burning the flag and wanting to get in here, and you know, do you do you put that in as a as a as a determination to let them in? Yeah. So I, I want to get back to to my own story and to my to my family's experience. We really we wanted to be in America. Mm-hmm. Like we, my my mother's side, my my grandfather, he he served in World War II. He was in the Pacific Front. Like we really believed in the democratic experiment and what we've got going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that if you want to come to America, you need to believe in in this place. Uh, you can say that there are some things that are that need to be fixed. You can say they can be better. I'm not trying to take away your right to say of any course. of that. But you have to believe in the general principle in order to want to be a part of it. And you know what? If you are seeking as if you are seeking asylum, if you are truly fleeing um, fleeing oppression, but you don't like America, that's fine. We can you know we can help and make sure that you are going to be safe from uh, from a government that's trying to go after you. But if you'd rather go to talk, rather go to Sweden, let's go talk to Sweden, and maybe they'll take you. Yeah. Like, if you want rather go to Germany, let's go talk to Germany. If you want to go to Russia, let's go talk to well, maybe not Russia, right? But yeah. you want to go somewhere <laughs> else. Um, there's a community. There's a, there's a, like other countries that take right. in refugees. Like we can set you up because if you don't want to be here, then we probably don't want you to be here either. Right. Right. Yeah, and we, we can make it, we can figure out something for you where you're not, you know, at knife's edge making a decision, but also do something that works for you. Sure. Do you think, um, uh, do you think a law uh, disincentivizing uh, folks coming over here and not, you know, so obviously you have a law, you can't just walk across the border and show mm-hmm. up. Okay, yeah, that's that not not that one. But let's say that, you know, people always say, well, how do we stem the tide of people wanting to come over here? So it's been suggested that, hey, let's make it a federal offense to to rent to somebody that's undocumented, mm-hmm. to lease a, an apartment, a property to somebody that's undocumented, to give a driver's license to somebody that's undocumented, mm-hmm. to give um, uh, welfare benefits to undocumented folks, to employ undocumented folks. If we disincentivized those folks from coming over here because they knew that they couldn't take advantage of that, and we put penalties on those of us here in the United States, because the people, the people here in the U.S. and some of those same people complaining are some of these people that are selling properties that are employing these folks. Mm-hmm. So you're, that's right. You're more guilty than they are because you're, yep. you know, it's like would be like me complaining about we need to do something about drugs and then going out here in the hallway and you selling know drugs. selling drugs. It's yeah. just it's dumb, you know. Um, but I mean, how would you feel about a type of regulation like that? I mean, is that something? So I know we, we've always tr- we've always tried to go back and f- back on that. I know those those proposals come up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But you know who uh, objects to those proposals and has a pretty big lobby in D.C. Uh, Walmart. Really? Target and uh, a lot of these big business types, they say, "Hey, hey, hey! You know, you don't want to tell us how we do our business. Don't make these penalties too high. Mm-hmm. You know, just a slap on the wrist. Make sure you know we don't. Uh, you know, we'll just trust us. Just trust us." Um, here's where I think we can solve that. Where we can get some uh, common ground or at least a solution on this problem. One is if we work with some of these other countries um, that are in not great shape. Uh, and help build those countries up. We mm. trade with them. We do some economic development. You know, we help help them get started. We don't have to put a gazillion dollars in them, but if we help them, you know, just be stable and have a, a decent country, I think a lot of folks would just stay. They wouldn't mind. They, they like yeah, wherever they're from, right? Um, that's one thing. And the other thing I'd say, just to close it out, is um, 
they'll say where they're from. And then uh, if we can just clean up the system, I've got some cousins who have been here for five, six years. They want to become U.S. citizens. They want to become uh, small business owners, but they can't because the system is backed up. If we cleaned up right. the system so those who want to be here can come here more easily. Make the process more efficient. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I don't think anybody would, would, would argue that. Hey, we got to take a break here. Um, Alex Carjacker in the studio with us. I am Tony Ashcraft. This is Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. We'll be right back. This is Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. Keith here from Papa John's. And the king of the Texas Renaissance Festival. And if you want to go to the festival, all you got to do is go buy any Papa John's pizza, buy an adult ticket, and you'll get a kid's ticket for free. You can even get it online. We'll see you at the festival. Papa John's Houston. Huzzah! Coastal Shade Company is the Houston and Gulf Coast leader in outdoor shade coverings. From palapas to pergolas, pavilions, and more. Looking for an outdoor kitchen or fireplace? Contact us today at 832-917-7672 or visit us online at CoastalShadeCo.com. We the people have a right to superior cocktails and Preamble Lounge and Craft House would like to welcome you to a new cocktail revolution. Our speakeasy-inspired lounge offers signature craft cocktails in an intimate setting. With a wide selection of high-end spirits, infusions, barrel-aged beverages and cocktails, there is something for every budget. Preamble is located at 20801 Gulf Freeway in Webster and open Monday through Saturday from 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. Preamble Lounge and Craft House, a new cocktail revolution. Bold, informative, and thankful for the Second Amendment. This is Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. Hey, welcome back to Bullet Points on Vinyl Draft Radio. I'm Tony Ashcraft. Uh, Alex Cardecker in the studio with us today. He is the uh, uh, looking for uh, a seat. At the table in the great state of Texas, District 129. And uh, I want to remind you guys, early voting is underway mm-hmm. as we speak. And uh, I think November the 6th, I believe, is the... Uh, the big day. Yeah, the big day. The big day. So uh, midterms, you know, a lot of times we uh, those kind of come and go, and, and folks don't pay too much attention to it. I was encouraged. I saw that, um, you know, Harris County said that there was a, a larger turnout Mm-hmm. On the first day of early uh, voting uh, versus the uh, the last presidential election, so that's uh, that's a lot of folks getting excited. You know, big deal, especially the uh, the Cruz O'Rourke battle. That's right. Is uh, is is a big big deal. Um, so uh, we gotta. That's that's the, man. I'll tell you, full contact sport does not begin to describe politics these days. It ain't beanbag. No, it's not. It's not. Hey, listen. Speaking of that, um, I know we we got a little bit to a little bit of Second Amendment to, to discuss, but I wanted to talk to you about uh, politics and uh, sort of the. And this is not on a Texas level. I mean, Texas politics is pretty tame for the most part, but on a federal level, geez. Um, it's been just insane. Uh, it, yes. It, what do you make of these? I mean, I, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm a conservative, mm-hmm. as, as you would guess, with a show like Bullet Points. Um, but sure. but uh, and and I don't, you know, I can't. There are people on the right that that throw stones like people mm-hmm. on the left. But yep. I gotta say, in my observation, and I'm not being biased here, but there has been a lot of a lot of just stout stout talk um from some and it's it's the same folks it's not you can't generalize uh democrats as a whole i don't believe or the left as a whole because same with republicans right right. same with yeah agreed uh but you know it's the maxine waters type Mm -hmm. folks um just some i mean just some guilty parties up there just really seem to stir up a lot of crap and what bugs me about this stuff is that when that happens whether it happens on the left or on the right uh, I don't see as many people as I would like come out within that party and go, hey, listen, that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. That's not helpful at all. You know, if you want to get into a heated debate, if you and I have a disagreement and we want to raise our voices and go back, and, oh, Alex, you know, we want to pound the table a little bit and go back, that's fine. But we start calling each other names and, I mean, and encouraging even the name calling. I can I can get past the name calling because people get impassioned. They get and they, they, it comes out. It's just a human emotion thing. It's not the best way to do it. But. Okay, I can live with that. What I can't live with is, um, you know, some of these folks encouraging uh, harassment of people that are out. You know, if you see a, you know, you see a representative or you see somebody mm-hmm. go go out, you see them, you know, or people standing out in front of their yeah. houses or that kind of that that just has no place for me at all. 
So let me let me chat about that. I think because um, I I feel very strongly. And here's here's where I think the that problem comes from. Because you're right. I, I think there's a way. We're always going to disagree. Mm-hmm. There's a guy I like a lot. His name is Sam Rayburn. His name's on a bunch of things here in Texas. He used to be Speaker of the House. He used to say, if uh, two men think exactly alike, only one's doing the thinking. And, and that, that's right. <laughs> that's we're true. all just going to think differently, and that's okay. Um, but if you can be productive about it, if you can come to solutions, if you can solve problems, that's great. I think one of the reasons why folks get really frustrated with Congress right now is that it doesn't, it's not solving problems. It's not consistently solving problems. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why you feel, a lot of folks feel like they need to go harass folks at restaurants or in public places, which I think is unacceptable. I don't think you should do that. Because there's no other way to give feedback. If you're closing off your town halls, if you're not appearing in public, um, you know, those are, it becomes very frustrating for people. But in the long run, what I think is the real crux of it is we're stuck in a two-party system. We're stuck in a two-party system. There's only two choices every year on the ballot. Uh, the lines are drawn funny. There's a wasted vote problem if you want to vote third party. All this stuff that really degrades democracy. It makes it harder for challengers. Um, we can fix that. We can make it so that, you know, if, if you just don't like the Democrats for whatever reason, and you, as someone asks you, well, who are you going to vote for? I say, well, I'd hate the Democrats. I ain't going to vote for those guys. So, okay, well, there's a Republican, there's a Libertarian, there's an Independent. Who of those guys do you like? Then, you know, get people to think, okay, well, I like this guy for this reason or that guy for that reason. Um, just give more real choices because otherwise we're just going to get stuck in the mud and, and there's no feedback. There's no way to give feedback and be productive. Yeah, I think that um, the other thing you see, I think, that, that lends itself to that, that two-party system. And, and I agree, but I think for me, uh, when I hear two-party system, I don't think of it as, as well, we, we have two choices, but we have two lines of thinking. Because so often when people enter into a race, mm-hmm. um, they will immediately jump and toe the party line, whatever yep. that is. There are there are few that are that want to come out of that and introduce some new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, you know, change is scary for, for some folks. And, it's and that's exactly where we're trying to come in, right? I think we didn't we didn't touch on it in the first segment, but a lot of folks said, Alex, why don't you support a fifteen dollar minimum wage? And I say, well, it's hard on small businesses. And the research that I've seen suggests that, you know, if you really want to do a minimum age, maybe it would be 9 or $10, somewhere around mm-hmm. there. But even so, Texas is a big state. You may not want to do it for all sorts of reasons, yep. right? And so you're a little bit heterodox on the party. Um, or some folks will come out and say, you know, well, Alex, why are you, um, why are you in favor of uh, just doing things uh, the standard? Why are you not in favor of doing things just the standard Democrat way? It's like, well, that's not what this district needs. Right. This district needs someone who's going to vote for the community, for the district, who will uh, not take the straight ticket, straight it, down the ticket line. It's the term representative. That's right. And, <laughs> that's, that inc- you know, and that includes on the Second Amendment. Yeah, right? That absolutely. includes taking a, a, a strong stance on the Second Amendment and somewhere where we can find something that works for everybody. I mean, we're pretty close to Santa Fe, right? So folks of yeah. you know, school safety and just general yeah. safety is on people's minds. And, and I'm glad you brought up the Santa Fe was a thing. And it's my fault. I missed on it. I know we wanted to touch on it. But, um, you know, we, in the Second Amendment thing, we talk about it a bunch on here. It's, it's mm-hmm. the, but we, you know, we bounce around between hardware and, and policy and, and, you know, from a federal level and, and local things. But uh, mm-hmm. school safety is a, is a big deal for me. Again, 100%. I have kids in school. And, you know, when Santa Fe happened, that was... Uh, just just crazy it was so close to home for for mm-hmm. so many of us you know and it uh, it touched so many people and uh, I did a a show I guess about a month or so ago you know a school because because what happens with a lot of these things is we get to the forefront of the news and everybody's all over them and then some of the news story comes up and we kind of forget about it mm-hmm. so May 18th was when Santa Fe happened and that was right before the end of the school year pretty mm-hmm. close to it yep. so then we go through the summer now school's starting again but nobody was really talking about it too too much it was a little bit here and there mm-hmm. um, but in thinking about school safety would you be in favor of minimum security standards for all school districts in Texas so things like if we did and I'm just putting stuff out here, but, but, you know, a resource officer, so many resource officers per student capita or mm-hmm. controlled access or ID or cameras or, you know, whatever. Um, would you be in favor of any of that? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that friend, in my experience, again, it's, it's Click Creek ISD. And I was actually attending a lot of the safety committee meetings that they put together mm-hmm. as a result of, of Santa Fe and how they're going to respond. I think a lot of that's already in place. And I think that'd be great to have at school districts uh, all over the district, as long as we can make sure that state comes in and provides some funding to help. I know Clear Creek ISD has, I think, a master control room that just sees everything. Yeah. Right. And that 
that's probably helpful for yeah, school districts no, across the state. I agree. I'm glad to see that there were a lot of school districts in the area that were doing something. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's one solution. It's you yeah. know, sort of like immigration. There's not one thing that's going to fix it all. Um, but certainly doing nothing is not going to help. Right. Um, and, and that's it, what, I'm going to just bring that home. Doing nothing is what happens when folks just vote the party line. No. Right? When you just vote the party line and you end up stuck in the mud, then yeah. nothing happens. I, I sort of laugh at when uh, term limits um, is another thing that, that people complain mm-hmm. about. We should have term limits. We do have term limits. It's called an election. Yeah. We've got, we've got a term limit right now. That's if, right. If you don't like who's in there, vote for somebody else. If there's nobody else, then run yourself. Get involved. Get involved in the uh, get involved in the process. From you always hear the term grassroots. That's what that is. Hundred Gra- percent. Grassroots is not waiting till somebody gets, um, you know, to a candidate gets is the is the party selection, and then going out and putting signs in the front yard. That's not grassroots politics. Yep. You got to go. The, the, you got to go. You got to get in there before then. Yeah, get in there before then, way, way earlier. And the one thing that I would add, we should make it easier for folks. So, for instance, if you ever wonder why a libertarian or an independent doesn't show up to your door, it's because they don't have the voter file. The only two people who have the voter file are two major parties. They're the only ones who have been able to spend all the money to really put that list together. Yeah. We could make that more available to everybody. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think more choice would be uh, more choice, more civilized debate. I mean, it it gets, but but that's going to take... that's going to take the constituency uh, at large to get involved in some things like that because the parties are not going to do it themselves. Well, I'm going to, I'm, I want to make sure that your listeners know that if you're in District 129, I'm the guy that wants to do that. I want to make it easier for you to replace me because a challenger-friendly system is one that yep. will get things done. Yeah, and that's, um, again, you know, our, our, our public officials, we elect them, we put them in there, and we should be able to take them out a little bit easier. But in doing that, we've got to have a... Uh, uh, somebody that we're confident in and we get exposure to to our different choices that we have because we want we want people no matter what side of the aisle that you're on we want people that um, that represent uh, uh, the people out here mm-hmm. in the best interest of of ourselves and our state as a whole because yep. that's how we grow and that's how we that's how we move forward so let's jump into the, the second amendment we don't have too too much time left I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can buy us a couple extra minutes but um, uh, you know, background checks for mm. Second Amendment has been a, been a big deal. Um, you hear uh, folks on the left, the argument uh, on the on this sort of anti-gun front is universal background checks. Um, I have yet to figure out what that actually means. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear that term thrown around a lot. I don't know what it is. I, I currently uh, hold a federal firearms license. I'm a class seven manufacturer. Mm-hmm. So if you purchase a weapon from me, you have to fill out a background. You ha- I have to do a background check through the FBI, through mm-hmm. the NICS system. Right, right. Um, there's no exception to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just not. So I, I'm in, there's, you always hear about the gun show loophole. Mm hmm. Well, you can't go to a gun show. Uh, I mean, gun shows; those are dealers there too. They have a they have a license also. They're bound by the ATF regulations. They have to do um, they have to do background checks there when you buy a gun, either. So I also so I'm not really sure what the what the gun hole or the gun show loophole thing is. Um, so I'm a little bit a little bit fuzzy on that. But uh, I think that um, and, and I would I would agree that it's um, if you're not in the gun industry, it's sort of maybe a little bit more difficult for people to understand uh, the process, but but it's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a perfect one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I look at it like, um, you know, it's possible to go, if we look at these, these you know, the Vegas shooting, uh, the Santa Fe thing, Parkland, Florida, you could name any and all of them. None of those people, well, I mean, those people either stole those guns or they bought them legally. And I, you can't, you can't stop someone from buying a gun legally um, mm-hmm. because hence the term legal. Right. You can't really stop them from stealing a gun, I guess, you know, and then you can make the argument, well, you can lock it up. You can put it in a safe, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. I mean, come on, they're going to, they're going to, if they're going to want to steal it, they're going to, you know, they're going to get it. Uh, and that's, that, that's, that's difficult to do. So thinking about the, and I don't know how familiar you are with the current background check system that we use, the 4473 mm-hmm. and the NICS, but there's always room for an improvement improvement mm-hmm. everywhere. Uh, what do you see, if any, changes to the current NICS process as it is? What would you like to see added? Uh, I know that one thing we talked about is the mental health component. That's right. Yeah. How do we keep people out of there? But there's no way to score someone's mental health. I mean, you or I, let's be honest, we could go crazy tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't know. And that's and I'm not being silly. I mean, that's that's legit. It's just what you, life is. Right. You If you buy a gun at the age of 25 years old and... Mm-hmm. 
you know, you get on into your 50s and you still have that gun and you start getting dementia or you get some kind of, you know, you have some kind of hereditary mental illness in your family or something like that and you, something goes bad, there's no way to there's no way to determine that. There's no way to stop that. So, I mean, do you see any component to uh, to determining a mental illness factor in the background check? Because currently, um, you there's a series of questions on there on the forty four seventy three, and you know, like, is the gun for you and not for anybody else? Are you have you renounced your U.S. citizenships? And one of them it has have you been adjudicated mentally defective? And you just check the box. Yes or no. Mm-hmm. But when you do the background check, they don't ask you those questions. It's just a statement of, of faith on the. Right, uh, right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, do you see incorporating anything else into in mental health? And how do we do that? Sure. Well, I think one of the one of the issues that comes up um, or that I've seen is just with with mental health care providers. Right. If they know that something's going on, giving them an avenue unable to report that back mm-hmm. to the next system. Right. Um, if they if they we set some standards and if you if you meet those standards for a concern or something that they think is an issue, um, professional standards that are policed by uh, by the um, therapists themselves uh, and by by the state or by the Congress to set appropriate standards that have to go before a judge, you know, adjudicate that and then put that information into the system. I think that would be one thing you could do. Um, you know, again, to be very clear, uh, if I'm if I'm seeing a therapist and they notice that something's wrong with me, then they need to give that information to somebody. Right. That's an issue. Uh, you could do it also, I think, with uh, with school counselors. I think it sounds like to be the case that there were some school counselors who were concerned about uh, the gentleman over in Santa Fe. They were yeah. you weren't really sure what was going on, but they thought something was going on. Um, so finding ways to get that information into the system uh, in whichever way possible is uh, would be good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you. If there's an issue where you're you've been violent with somebody, domestic violence, mm-hmm. um, I think we need to re, we need to figure out what's safe and and whether you're not yeah. can you well, have now, firearms. Uh, a misdemeanor crime of domestic violence precludes you from legally right. purchasing a firearm. Right. Um, but to your point, I think you're right. A lot of this can happen without ever being reported. Yeah. And I think that's the it main can, issue. And it's difficult because you know we have HIPAA. Mm-hmm. Is, yep, and that's and right too. That's a that's. You know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yep, that's right. It's a it's sort of an unintended consequence. You know, I wish as a just a pie in the sky idea that there was, you know, like a, a point system or something that you know, just something that we could measure. Mm-hmm. But it's so difficult to quantify uh, mental illness. It's difficult to understand. It's difficult to predict behaviors. It's difficult to to treat. In some cases, it's mm-hmm. very. Very, very difficult because there are some people that 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 may have a problem that may suffer from, you know, depression or, uh, you know, a bipolar disorder. uh, But that doesn't and then not all of those people should be precluded from purchasing a firearm because some of them are they're treated well or the -hmm. the degree of illness is is not as much. Or It's very gray. Right. And so I think to your point, and I think we talked about this a little earlier, um, maybe one of the ways of solving this question is. Uh, just ma- trying to help alleviate the other stresses in life, right? Making it easy. We talked about this throughout the entire show. Making it easier to have a job, making mm-hmm. it easier to make sure that your, you and your family get health care. You know, dealing with questions around around public safety and uh, you know making sure that immigration levels are manageable, so everybody is feeling that quality of life continues to improve. All of these things, if we can address all of those questions, then you're not going to solve everything. Right. But likely, the the incidence of mental illness will decline because the stresses on a person will just be less. They'll have good jobs. They'll have good community. They'll have good health care. Uh, mm. We didn't talk about transportation, but they'll right. have good access to get around. Uh, all of these things would, yeah. be, uh, would so, help uh, alleviate that. Yeah, so the, the intention is they'll be less likely to, to pro- act out in a violent way. You just be more proactive. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you. That's uh, certainly putting a smile on people's faces, <laughs> putting them in a better mood, because it's, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to understand why folks uh, uh, behave the way that they do. Yeah. Uh, well, we just got uh, about a minute and a half left. So I'm going to give you the last, uh, uh, last few seconds of the show here mm-hmm. and uh, tell people how they can find out more information about you mm-hmm. and uh, uh, where they can reach you and uh, how they can find out more about your campaign. I think that we've covered a lot here, but certainly there is a, a ton more mm-hmm. uh, out there. Um, so, so give us your pitch. Sure. Yeah. Um, folks can find more about me at Alex K for the Bay.com. Uh, Alex K for the Bay area.com. Uh, you can search me online. Alex last name is K A R J E K E R. 
Uh, and really the pitch that I want to make to, to the community here, to the place where I grew up, is uh, we deserve a representative that stands for us, that's going to vote for the community, not for a party line. And I will guarantee folks that if anything ever comes up that will hurt our community, I will be the first one yelling and screaming and putting a stop to it because that's what a representative supposed to do. They're going to fight for our district. And that means you don't follow the party line. It doesn't mean that uh, you go along with leadership just because they put the squeeze on you. Uh, this is a district where uh, a lot of the status quo maintains itself. And I think what that means is special interests get in. They say, hey, we know that things keep on going to keep on going. And so just vote the party line, and that's how we're going to do it. Uh, and if, if I'm lucky to get your vote, if I'm lucky enough to be your representative, that's not how it's going to be with me. I will be a bulldog for this district. And I, and I really appreciate you having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you coming on and, and having an open and honest discussion and, uh, and laying things out. I think uh, a little bit more of this would go a long way. That's going to wrap it up for us here on Bullet Points. Alex Carjacker, good luck to you, sir. Thank you so and much. And let us know. And uh, if, uh, if, if you do get the seat, um, we're going to hold you to everything you said. I, I, I hope so. All I, right. I'm counting on it. All right, Alex. Thanks again. Hey, join us uh, next Tuesday. Bullet points on Vinyl Draft Radio. Be armed, be smart, and be safe. We'll see you next time. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Bullet points on Vinyl Draft Radio.